This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The second captain's world service. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to your first Second Captain's Football Podcast of 2023. Is this the year that Arsenal knock Manchester City off their Premier League perch? Can Evan Ferguson become the free-scoring striker Irish football needs? Will Marcus Rashford disable his snooze button and back himself to wake up to his alarm at the first time of asking from now on. These are just some of the key questions facing us as we look ahead to another 12 months of Premier League football. Happy New Year, Ken. Happy New Year to you, Owen, as well. Are you prepared now, right now, on the 2nd of January to countenance the idea of Arsenal becoming Premier League champions? Yes, they're going to do it. <laughs> In Sherlock Nan's famous words, even having described Manchester City as basically unbeatable with Erling Haaland in the team earlier in the season. Well, Everton didn't beat them, did they? Although, um, Brentford did. Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I just, I, I obviously was expecting City not to be dropping points the way that they are. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you get to this stage, seven points. Seven points is a lot. Um, you know, and and they just don't look like they're gonna. They they, I mean, okay. the The problem that Arsenal have is they can't afford many players to get injured. Whereas Man City could, you know, even if Haaland got injured, they still have players. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, um, so they've got a little bit more uh, room for bad luck from this point to to not really affect what they're doing. But they're not playing anywhere near as well as Arsenal. Or they're not playing anywhere near as close to their their uh, potential as Arsenal. And the way that they're going, I don't see why they just can't keep winning games and, you know, the kind of lead that they've got. I mean, a lot's going to depend on their results against Man City. But, um, yeah, I mean, for me, Arsenal, uh, for me, Owen, I should say, 
Arsenal, I mean, are not actually the favourites um, because Man City are... I mean, what are we? We're, we're, we're still only 16 games into a 38-game season. Mm. We're quite early in the season. That's not, I know, this is easy to forget given that it is January, but it's actually still re- the relatively early stages of the season. There's a lot of time for Arsenal to think about where they are, but like you're saying, so so far, so good. I can conceive of Arsenal winning the league yeah. now, which, which I couldn't have... I wouldn't have been thinking was possible in August. And uh, it's definitely possible now. John Bruin was at the Amex to watch Arsenal beat Brighton and extend the lead to seven points. And he has strong praise for a number of Arsenal players, in particular the skipper Martin Odegaard in his match report. So we'll talk to John today. It's the first week of the new year. Perfect time for the non-members to think about signing up to the World Service and secondcaptains.com, particularly any Arsenal fans listening. Surely, now that the Premier League has been guaranteed by Ken, you want to have as much coverage as possible over the next few months. We'll have another football pod during the week to cover another full round of midweek fixtures, which start tonight. It's a Liverpool game on, on Monday night. Our chat on the Brazilian Ronaldo documentary is ready to go at some point. We've also got our first rugby pod of the year tomorrow after Munster's last second win against Ulster. All that is yours for only a five a month plus fat for the first time in 2023. Ken, please report on sport. Well, Owen, I guess the place to start this 2023 is with the most sensational transfer move of um, of the year thus far. Actually, I think it happened last year, technically speaking. But Cristiano Ronaldo has gone to Al Nasser of Saudi Arabia, the Riyadh Giants, where he will become, according to um, the publicity information surrounding the deal, the highest paid player in the world. Uh, whether whether that's definitely true, I mean I'm I'm not sure. I'd like to see I'd like to see proof. I think Kylian Mbappe might be getting paid a little bit more uh, at Paris Saint Germain. But then again Mbappe's very good owned. Bappe is um, young. He's good. He's a good player. Owen. He has finished the 2022 as the top scorer, I think, um, uh, in uh, in Europe. Basically, uh, if you if you count the international goals, obviously Erling Haaland didn't get to play in the World Cup, uh, whereas Kylian Mbappe scored eight goals there. Uh, whereas Ronaldo has got six goals in 26 appearances this season for Portugal and uh, Manchester United. Uh, two of those six goals were penalties, uh, one of which was obviously in the World Cup against Ghana, a World Cup in which he ended up getting dropped uh, from Portugal's starting team. <clears throat> two of them were in the Nations League against Switzerland uh, back in the summer. Two of them were in the Europa League against Sheriff Tiraspol. And one of them was in the Premier League against Everton. And that's what he's done. Uh, in order to vault into this position as the apparently best-paid player in the world. Um, now, Owen, I would say that I have a, you know, a reasonably high tolerance for cringe comedy. Mm. Um, you know, a, a lot of people say they can't really, they don't enjoy that type of thing, you know, the sort of mortifying scenes and people trying to, trying to cope with embarrassment or sort of rescue awful situations, you know, socially... Um, awkward situations. You know, I don't mind. Uh, I don't mind that stuff. I don't have that kind of. Uh, no, I'm with you. I I'm with you on this. I'm happy enough with that strain of comedy. As I'm happy genre. enough to watch. I, I know that I'm not. I'm not involved, and it's you know I, I, can, I can appreciate it. Some people are really turned off by it, but I couldn't watch. I couldn't finish the Pierce Morgan Ronaldo no. interview. It was too much. 
it this was the, the the obviously the famous one from from the end of November or from from just before the World Cup. It was just too much. Yeah. It was too embarrassing. You know, vicariously embarrassing for me to sit and watch that. I was so I was too embarrassed for both of them and also for the human species <laughs> that this was a spectacle that was that was occurring. Um, Morgan and Ronaldo. It was just like the the level of, of of sort of obsequiousness and groveling from Pierce Morgan was just too much. And so uh, I never saw, I don't believe, the exchange, uh, the exchanges about Saudi Arabia or the then prospective deal um, taking Ronaldo to Saudi Arabia, um, which we'll play now. Just there's a little clip. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm only just playing this because it's like wor- it's word salad. I'm hoping maybe you can explain to me what it means. Um but here's here Pearson and Ronaldo discussing excitedly. Well, Pierce is really excited. Ronaldo seems less excited. Although when you you know when you hear his actual response to Pierce Morgan saying you've turned that down, you know you can see how he leaves himself a little a little door open. But here is here is some of that uh, interview. What is the truth about other clubs making offers for you? Some people have said there were no offers at all. I happen to know that there was a gigantic one from Saudi Arabia. I mean, for example, like 350 million euros for two seasons. Is that the kind true? Of, yes, it's I mean, true. That's a staggering sum of money. Yes. Which you turned down. In that moment, yes. I mean, that to me says you're not just about the money. It's what, it's what I'm going to mention now. It's, they say many, many garbage things that if you are an agent, what you're going to do? You go the clubs, but George Mendes, for example, have more than 100 players. And they go Chelsea, they go Arsenal, they always mention Cristiano Ronaldo, they offer Cristiano. Pierce, let's be honest, who's the most expensive player, salary player that Premier League have in history? It's me, even with 37 years old. Why they're gonna, even, they even offer me to Sporting or Napolis. I will be honest with you, you don't ha- I didn't have many, many clubs. But I have many, many offers of the other clubs, right. which is I didn't change because I didn't plan to do it. But I have. But what the press keeping say and the garbage press say that nobody wants me, which is, is completely wrong. And um, I was happy here, to be honest. I was motivated to do, to do it a great season here. But, but they continue to repeat. Nobody wants Cristiano. How, how they don't want a player who last year scored 32 goals. So I guess Ronaldo's saying that like he actually has loads of offers. It's just that like obviously he's 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 a professional. You know he doesn't work for free, and so you know if someone's if someone in there is offering three hundred and fifty million euros over two years, four hundred million dollars, I guess two hundred million a year, then you know Sporting and Napoli and other such clubs, you know who who might want to to bring him in are going to have to dig a little deeper. You know what I mean? I mean, this is an this is an auction at the end of the day. Is, is that what he's saying? I mean, he's having a couple of goes at the the garbage press. Anyway. The garbage press, who are who are suggesting uh, this, but um, they also have then this exchange, which I think is a little bit goes more to the heart of what's of what's really going on here. Is it also that you want to keep playing at the highest level? That you want to play Champions League football? You want to keep breaking records? Is it again? It comes back to my gut feeling about you that. If it was just about money, you would be you'd be in Saudi Arabia, right, earning this king's ransom. But you, that's not what motivates you. You want to keep at the exactly, top. Exactly, because I thought I, I, I still believe that I can score many many goals and help the team. Because I, I still believe that I'm I'm still good and capable 
to help national team. <laughs> oh, gee. That is quite quite a remarkable clip given the the transfer that ended up happening the other day. I mean, that's, just, it's, re- it's really kind of like, you, you, it's not about the money. You you don't just go to Saudi Arabia. It's, it's like, well, actually, it turns out that is what I'm now doing. That is what I'm doing. And and just like to, to step back from this, because I know it's kind of been going on a long time and, it, and it, it sort of became a boring story a while ago. Like the Ronaldo story, it sort of became a, a, a bit boring just because it, it's kind of so clearly over you know what i mean and it's and and maybe you, some, you sometimes feel like glo- like you're gloating a little bit you know or or um and it's just like oh just let him let him go you know um but at the same time this is a guy who who forced his way out of manchester united because they weren't good enough for you know to have him there anymore like he was his supreme talent was being wasted uh, at a europa league level club you know, he wasn't able to continue uh, extending his Champions League records. Manchester United were simply no longer a fitting platform for the uh, talents of Cristiano Ronaldo. And in order to get out of there, he, he has been kicking off for months and months. Um, you know, he uh, culminating, obviously, in that uh, horrific encounter with uh, Pierce Morgan, which finally did. It finally did. Um, it did the it did the job. But at what cost? You know what I mean? It, uh, they, they said, okay, well, he can't come back now because he's basically said, you know, we're a shit club, our manager's a clown, and, uh, you know, it's a joke. Uh, okay, well, we'll we'll probably have to wrap this uh, Ronaldo situation. Um, and now he's playing for Al Nasser, right? This, so, so the whole idea of, like, well, I, I want to keep um, playing at the top level was just, I mean... Well, there's two different things going on with his answers here. Because one, in one case, he's talking about how many clubs want him and so on and blah, blah. And the other one, he actually goes to this this club for the money. So you wonder how many clubs actually, how many clubs that realistically could have signed Cristiano Ronaldo were genuinely interested in signing him. And if there were loads of amazing offers, then he's obviously being somewhat hypocritical if he's gone and taken the one that is just about the money. Yeah, I mean there there were there were none really. There were there were no serious offers and you know if he's if he's insisting on getting paid that much money then clearly there was a, there was one offer. Um because no one else is going to pay that because he's he's not worth that to anyone else. He's only worth that if if like the crown prince of Saudi Arabia decides that's worth spending 400 million dollars to have Ronaldo go to. Ronaldo is I guess the second most popular athlete in Saudi Arabia. Behind Leo Messi? Yeah, I mean, even the coach at Al Nasser said uh, jokingly, oh, well, actually, I wanted to sign Messi. <laughs> and you're like, you shouldn't have said that. Oh, no. <laughs> you, shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. It's, it's, he doesn't do jokes. He especially doesn't do that joke. You know, Rudy Garcia, it is, uh, who's over there, uh, who, who came out with that one. But... Um, I think it's the the problem for Nalo here. I mean, on the one level, you're like, oh, you know, is it so bad? He's making all this dough, and you know, what's, he's he's nearly 38. Like, I mean, what else is he supposed to do? Um, I think the problem is kind of pissing on his own legacy. I think it's a major mistake that he's made. I, I mean, because it's not like it's not as though uh, he's finished up at Manchester United and. You know that this is the best offer that he has, and you know they've they've sold him uh, the dream of of making football popular in Saudi Arabia. See, the thing is, it already is really popular in Saudi Arabia. 
you know that that that's that was clear that was one of the very evident things about the world cup the number of saudi fans who were there and the kind of the culture of the saudi fans was not maybe what you would expect you know if you think of saudi arabia as like a, a conservative um uh country uh you know um you, you might say, say for instance, when you saw the Qatari fans of the World Cup, all the, all the Qataris are wearing the you know white tobe and and so on at the games. The um, the Saudis were mostly wearing uh, sweaty green uh, polyester football shirts and um, screaming at the tops of their lungs. You know what I mean? There was there was more of a kind of a recognizably football type culture there among. I mean, there was plenty of um, rich dudes in tobes as well, of course, but. Uh, what I'm saying is that football is already big there. You know, so it's, it's, diff- like- it's, it's different. It's different from say the you know Beckham going to the US, or more or more particularly going back to Pele going to the US back in the day to be like a football missionary, which is how that one would have been sold. Yeah, I mean, this the thing is, this is kind of being compared to that as well. I've seen a few sort of well, it's a bit like Pele. It's a new frontier. It's not a new frontier actually. And when Pele went there, he didn't really do anything, in my opinion. For I mean, this this Pele died of a superficial uh, talk. Uh, we can talk a little bit about Pele, um, but the, uh, you know, one of the things I saw, like I saw a CNN article say, oh, this guy, he, he basically invented football in America. And I was thinking, he didn't. Like, I mean, I'm old enough to remember not the 1970s when Pele was playing in the NASL, but the 1990s when it was clear that nobody in America cared about football. <laughs> I mean, I say nobody. There was, there was obviously some people, but it wasn't, it wasn't big. It wasn't Pele that transformed uh, the sport in America to what it is now, which is a major sport. It was the internet. You know, it was it was not like Pele. What Pele did was he 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 um, he got huge visibility for the NASL among other uh, former or, or soon to be retiring professionals. So loads of guys then followed Pele to America. You know what I mean? I mean he wasn't necessarily the first one. But then you had guys like Cruyff and Beckenbauer and uh, Best and Giles and, you know, uh, Peter Rod- Beardsley. Rodney Marsh, etc. Ro- Rodney Marsh. Uh, you, know, you know, you had just quite a few, um, quite a few well-known players who went there, you know, before the league collapsed. But, like, it, it didn't, in my opinion, it wasn't the thing that made the difference. The thing that made the difference was, was the internet actually allowed football to leak through, to leak through the barriers that the... Uh, that like I guess the American media companies had had. I'm not sure they were enforcing it deliberately, but like I think it kind of was able to spread that way. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. So, but I mean, what Ronaldo is doing here, maybe he will be the first of of a lot of players who head out to Saudi. And he's not obviously the first player. I mean, he's he's joining a team where he's got he's one of his teammates is Vincent Abu Bakr, um, but he is obviously the most high profile player. And if you've got Ronaldo, then and you've got lots of money, um, drawing other players. I mean, they're, they're already talking about signing Sergio Ramos, apparently. So you know, you, maybe there's something a bit like that. What's going to happen? I think what what definitely though this does do is is it really damages his legacy by the way that he's kicked his way out of Manchester United, which is a, which is a major club. I mean, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and all of those well, not all, but I mean, a, a lot of Manchester United fans who previously would have idolized Ronaldo um notwithstanding what's happened you know his kind of less good performances in 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 the last over the last year or so um we'll just think of him as a 
that he, he he's kind of massively diminished in their eyes by this. Yeah, I feel like uh, and it's it's like another. I think a, a blow. I mean, if Ronaldo is is concerned about his legacy, I mean, he has no chance really of of being considered among the the greatest players. What you know, Ronaldo he, doesn't get have a chance of being considered among the greatest players? No. What he's no. of course he's among the greatest players. No, he's a goal scorer. He's a goal. He's a goal scorer. Was Pele not a goal scorer? He wasn't just a goal scorer. Owen. he wasn't just a goal scorer. I think what Ronaldo has done here is is like his. It's like it's quite dramatic in the sense that it's like his fatal flaw as a footballer um, and also as a professional in terms of managing his career is the inability to conceive of himself as being part of a team. He always has seen himself as kind of a, a, a lone wolf. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's like, I'm, I'm a superhero. These um, sort of carbon blobs or whatever are also here to fill out the team, but it's all about me. And, you know, I think that that kind of shone through in his attitude. I mean, well, you know, why is he so desperate to to get out of there? You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, just... there's no there's no denying he's a rampant egotist. I'm not denying that for a second. But but I but I would have an issue with the idea that, he, that because things have ended so messily at Manchester United, suddenly his entire career is looked at different. No, I, mean, he, I don't he built think... up a career that, that 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 stacks up with almost anyone who's ever played the game. I don't think it's well. He, as he says himself, the numbers don't lie. But it's not about numbers. I mean, he would like for it to be about numbers, but it's not. You know, the thing about uh, okay. So I'm not saying that it's because of how he leaves Manchester United that you know. I think that that this doesn't help because there, there was a whole lot of people who, for whom he was like a hero, who to whom he's now a, an annoying figure. You know what I mean? Like it's a, who kind of see a different, see him differently now. But really, it has to do with his kind of conception of the game his conception of the game as being about numbers as being about goals the way that he evolved as a player towards uh just being ever more specialized as a goal scorer which really ultimately is about like being the kind of glory player in the team rather than what other great what actually actually the greatest players. I mean, you know, Ronaldo's a great player, like by the standards of he's he's definitely one of the top handful of footballers. But if you're talking about the legendary era defining players, I don't think he's ultimately going to be remembered that way. It, it, it's funny. It's funny you're talking about it like that because we reposted your chat with Tim Vickery from uh, about Pele from last year when the Netflix documentary came out, and Vickery feels that Pele always did himself a disservice by similar to Ronaldo focusing on the numbers so much. You know, he was always fiercely proud of protecting his his goal scoring legacy and and you know comparing his numbers to anybody else because he knew nobody else would ever get the amount of goals that would match up to that and and Tim felt actually that the Pele career was about was about more than just those goals even though the man himself nearly boiled it down to that in mm. in in sort of one way of looking at it well the goals i mean everyone understands the numbers you know the lingua franca of of a thousand goals or whatever but it's not what Pele is really celebrated for. I don't think is it a thousand goals. I mean, did Romario score a thousand goals? Like nobody cares. You know, he he kind of he certainly claimed to right. Romario pretty yeah, much yeah. Claimed to claimed to make it that, but nobody really cares because at the end of the day, he was like a guy who scored lots of goals. He was brilliant at it, but like he didn't sort of define the era. He didn't ruin the game, um, which R- Ronaldo did. The Ronaldo along with Messi defined this era. Messi is it's Messi's era. And Ronaldo 
is like a guy who scored a lot of goals for the main team that Messi was playing against, you know, Real Madrid. Mm. But like even 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 at Real Madrid, will they remember it as a Ronaldo era, or will it, will it be when they look back, will they go, you know, actually the real hero was Luka Modric all along? You know, I don't. I think there's a there's there's actually you know, when you consider the insane. I mean, he scored 450 goals in was it 438 matches for Real Madrid? It's it's ridiculous. It's an insane record, and yet. People will look back and go, yeah, was he the best player in the team? I think lots of people will, will actually do that because he he almost sort of retreated from the responsibility of what a really great player does. And and if you and I'm talking about Pele, uh, Cruyff, Maradona, and Messi. These are players who do everything. And Ronaldo kind of retreated towards the, well, how can I make the, you know, how can I get the largest number of goals? And that, and I can win that way, and it's and it was a mistake, you know. Whether he could have done what Messi does, or whether he could have done what these other players do, I'm not sure. Maybe he recognised his limitations, but you know, I think he he's not he he's not in that he's not in that level. I mean, I was looking recently at the obviously Pele died, and I think I mentioned to you on during the World Cup. Um, I mean, Pele had been ill. I'd seen that Hugh Michaelvani speech. Hugh Michaelvani did this did the speech. The now uh, late Hugh Michaelvani uh, in 2018, which was some football writers uh, association dinner over in London, where they'd organised to uh, to honour Pele, who actually couldn't turn up because I think he was ill uh, as well at that time. But Michaelvani gave a speech anyway, and uh, this speech was like a you know you could it, at times sounds a bit like a classic reactionary. Uh, well, you you know you, these kids have no idea what happened at you know the Aztec Stadium in 1970. You know what I mean? It's yeah. uh, um, and he and he's obviously really annoyed at this kind of insistence that like Maradona or or rather Messi and Ronaldo. This is 2018 are like better than anything we've seen before. And uh, one of the things he says: uh, some people who should know better are ready to tell us that Messi has proved himself a footballer. He's already described Messi and Ronaldo as, what was the, what was the words? Uh, entertaining and productive, right? Both of which are kind of faint praise. Where, like entertaining is like, a soap opera is entertaining. You know what I mean? Like well, Productive um, is definitely... Productive, you know what I mean? Like You're not exactly waxing lyrical. Hugh McElvany yeah. has a lot of, had a lot of words in, the, in his locker and he yeah. could have produced some other ones if he wanted he, to. Like, he, could, he, he could have gone, he, he could have gone a bit higher than productive in terms of the Phrase. But he says, uh, some people who just should know better are ready to tell us that Messi has proved himself a footballer. He didn't spit the word Messi. He has proved himself a footballer substantially superior to Diego Maradona. Now, Messi is one of the ultimate joys of the contemporary football lover's life. A genius whose artistry simultaneously stirs the blood and makes us smile with a mixture of awe and sheer pleasure. But Messi, like Ronaldo, is a magnificent forward and phenomenal goal scorer on the field. Maradona was a maker of worlds, certainly a shaper of World Cups. So, okay, the point he's making there is, yeah, you haven't actually done it in the main competition. And unfortunately, Yumakovani didn't live to see um, the World Cup that we've just seen, which I think by his own kind of logic, he would have had to say, well, he's more than I was giving him credit for. You know what I mean? He, which I think, to be fair was already obvious in 2018 when he when he kind of put Messi into the same category as Ronaldo as like a what's the phrase magnificent forward and phenomenal goal scorer 
but actually he was doing a, a whole lot more. And I think Messi always understood, um, you know, as Pele did, that this is a this is a team game. You know, that's what the, that's ultimately what it's about. You're you're actually part of a team. You may be by far the best player in it, but like you're still you're still part of it, and you should work with that. I mean, when you look at Pele, um, what what is it that the? I mean, we we didn't see Pele uh, play football. Um, and the, what we what we see of him is just the tiny fraction that's sort of left or that's recorded uh, of you know this this huge career that he had. But even just watching the 1970 footage, what's amazing about it is actually not even the, it's not the goals; it's the goals he doesn't score. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the 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 running around the goalkeeper. That's what I was saying against, last week, and I noticed this in the immediate aftermath of him dying. That was the biggest, that was the video that I saw shared most widely, probably, the, or certainly popping up in my feeds the most, was the, the one where he dummies a goalkeeper against Uruguay. There was obviously the, the Czechoslovakia, wasn't it? The, the shot from the halfway line. Supposedly to prove to his critics that his eyesight was still good. That was one of the probably yeah. myths that went around about Pele around that time. But yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, and and the um, but 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 the little passes like the tiny little passes to uh, Jarzinho against England. So the the goal against England where he controls the ball and kind of s- s- uh, pivots uh, as he's sort of almost leaning. He, he he sort of has to come back to control this ball uh, and then sort of pivots, almost leaning over it, and then just toes the little pass to Jarzinho, which takes out the whole defense, and that's the goal. Or obviously, then the the pass to Carlos Alberto, which is like, in one sense, it's the easiest pass you, you could ever <laughs> you could ever play. It's just like, but like everything about it, like the control, the pause, um, you know, to size up the situation, and then to play, he he has to play the pass in an almost lazy way to give Carlos Alberto time to just arrive at the perfect moment, like the. It's these things which are so beautiful and are so memorable, far more so than, you know, hundreds and hundreds of goals which weren't recorded and which we don't, you know, they, apparently they happened, but we don't. You know what I mean? It's, that doesn't really... The question I think for, for Ronaldo is, having kind of lost, in my opinion, battled to be considered as the best player, can he... And I, and I, don't, and I, and I think this is obviously bad for his legacy for reasons of it, which I don't need to repeat next. I just said them all. Um... Can he actually do it? Can he Can he maintain? Like, I think he would basically have to be that guy. I show speed to seriously insist that, like, Ronaldo was, was the best or was worthy of comparison with these types of players now, right? In other words, somebody who doesn't really understand what they're talking about. Can he so, do so, it? So somebody like me, then, is what you're saying. But go on. Well, you don't. You don't. I know that you don't really believe it. I know that you're, you know, you're... That I don't I, believe that Ronaldo was one of the best players in the history of football I do I do believe he, he he has been yeah one of the, he's one of the best goal scorers I would I would describe yes. him as a I would describe him as a magnificent but all those things, you, phenomenal you're, you're goal scorer you're, you're talking as though all he ever did was score goals in losing teams or something like I mean he he did win a ton of Champions League he won loads of trophies with the teams that he played in and he was a vital part of that and I you can talk now about Luka Modric but I don't think people were saying that at the time when they were both in the same team Ronaldo was the man and he did it in the biggest clubs, in, in at a couple of the biggest clubs, probably three of the biggest clubs in the world, up until Juventus maybe went off the rails. He did, and I, and I think that's why he will always have a place in that second tier of uh, of footballers uh, who score a lot of goals. Um, the question is is whether he can, what, what his sort of legacy is going to be, and and to what extent he can maybe continue to be considered as as the best with pure propaganda 
you know, um, he he was celebrating the other day, reaching four hundred million Instagram followers. There's a lot of money behind this Saudi thing. Oh, not just the money that they're paying directly to him, but there's going to be a big push going on here, which obviously he's him arriving as part of. And then you've got guys like Rio Ferdinand. You know, I saw Gary Neville, for instance, had said had said there's a bit of sadness to this. You know, because I mean, it's it's obviously like. It's it's a it's a massive anticlimax. You know, here's a guy who thought he was going to be, or I guess that the idea was, um, get out of Man United, this this prison of mediocrity, right? Get out, kick my way out of there, go to the World Cup, um, smash in a load of goals, clubs will be queuing up for me. You know, I'm still, and instead it's like, actually, you lose your place in the Portugal team, you get outscored comfortably by Gonzalo Ramos. Um, it doesn't really happen, and at the end of the day, nobody else comes in for you, and you're off to Riyadh. So it is. It's it's not good. And and Neville used the word sadness, which Rio Ferdinand was extremely annoyed by. What an adventure! What a prospect that is. This is Rio talking about uh, the the prospect of moving to Riyadh. What a prospect to go and play football in a brand new league, a competitive league, by the way. I played in a testimonial over there years ago. It was an unbelievable game. We were all surprised with the madness. The mayhem around football over there. The love of football in Saudi is crazy. I'm sure it's going to be a great adventure. It's a new chapter. The next chapter. The way the World Cup ended for him. A tinge of sadness in terms of being on the bench, not having a huge impact on his last one. That's a tinge of sadness. But this next chapter, going to Saudi Arabia, how do you look at that as a sadness? A sad way to end his career? I don't understand how people are saying that. So Rio, at least, is... is um, Sticking by his man. Yeah, and I mean, Rio knows, knows plenty about Saudi Arabia because only a, a few weeks ago, he was over in Riyadh himself at the Catalyze Saudi uh, conference as a guest of the Saudi Ministry of Investment. Was he? Where, yeah, where he discussed Saudi Arabia's, this is a quote from the press release, he was discussing Saudi Arabia's transformation and what the World Cup in Qatar meant for the wider region's sports and hospitality sectors alongside David Grutman the respected Floridian nightclub owner. So all I'm saying, Owen, is uh, um, Rio obviously has seen the, the bright side of this Saudi thing. I mean, again, he has been, he, he's, he's been to Riyadh certainly more times than I have. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm sure there's plenty of other people as well who over the coming years will, will also go to Riyadh or, or Jeddah or, or wherever, maybe as guests of the Saudi Ministry of Investment, maybe as guests of other people. And and we'll also say, you know, actually this is mm-hmm. this is pretty good, you know? This is this is this is actually this is you know, if Pele was was here, this he would be there. Actually he might. <laughs> There's a pretty good chance. Uh Pele would have Pele would have done the same thing. Uh, because at the end of the day he needed the cash. What's happening Premier League wise? Well from Pele to Vadfas. <laughs> um two own goals to honor the master the king. Uh, I mean, the second of that second home goal was one of the great comedy moments, I think, in the recent history of the Premier League. I mean, cause, because he had just scored a goal, <laughs> because he scored an own goal five minutes earlier, which was itself a freakish own goal. Uh, there was a couple of those. There was also the, um, was it Willy Bolly for Forrest against Chelsea, who managed to not quite vowed facet into his own top corner. I tell you, Harry but, Maguire wasn't a million miles away after coming on, being too sick to start against Forrest in, in the first game back. Then he came on for the last few minutes and there was one that he sliced. Was, ooh, for a second, it looked like it was going to nestle into the top corner there, which just would have been, oh, anyway, it didn't yeah, happen. Luckily, luckily for Harry Maguire. But um, 
from Darwin Nunez, uh, Darwin Nunez bursting through. And again, you know, every time Darwin Nunez plays, there's this, uh, oh, he's actually brilliant. Uh, and then it's like, well, maybe he should score occasionally. And uh, he he almost scored uh, with a chip over the goalkeeper. Is that going in? Is that going in? Vaud Vass was there to to make sure. And actually, if you see the, the reaction of, I think it's Salah who's just behind him. Salah actually um, p- puts his hands to his head you know, like in a kind of, oh, <laughs> like a kind of a sympathetic, oh, God. Maybe Mo Salah is one of those people you talked about, Ken, who finds the cringe comedy difficult to watch, especially yeah. when he's so close to it. Maybe. I mean, maybe he was just annoyed that, like, um, you know, he thought maybe he was going to score and then Foudfast got the credit again. But um, that was obviously tough. They're playing against Liverpool, playing again tonight. Um, playing against it's an early kickoff, uh, isn't it? I think it's half five. F- half five, yeah, against Brentford. So we'll see how that goes. I'm sure we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, so what else is going on at Tottenham? Very disappointing result against Villa. Um, and, you know, it's obviously not now looking pretty bad uh, for Antonio Conte's prospects of extending his contract, um, which runs out this summer. So... Um, I mean, the problem for, for Tottenham is they, they're kind of addicted to uh, conceding the first two goals in a game. You know, it's, this, is, this is just something they like to do. Uh, they've done it. They, they, they did it against Brentford in their uh, previous match since the, since the World Cup. And yeah, this time they, that happened at home to Villa. So you lose 2-0 at home to Aston Villa. This is a bad day. But, but, um, but Conte then did a, an interesting press conference afterwards, where I thought, yeah, this isn't this isn't going to go well because he basically he 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 started like he actually laughed at one point when people were like, oh, um, he 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 he's going on about what a miracle it was that we we did a miracle here. I repeat, I keep repeating, we did a miracle to get into the top four last season. Remember they 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 um, managed to. Get get in there ahead with of twelve Arsenal. players. I think he said at one stage we got we we qualified with twelve players. That's all he. That that's the the full complement of players he's willing to accept. Credit to the required standard to play for Tottenham Hotspur. Just basically eleven. His team plus one substitute. Yeah, and and then he he went on to to talk about how it's crazy. It was crazy when I read at the start of the season. Some people were saying maybe we had a chance at the title, and I just I, and he was kind of laughing and saying these people are crazy. And obviously, I am one of those people who suggested that they would. So I'm kind of thinking, well, is it that crazy though? Like, if you look at their team, I mean, they've they've got a World Cup winning central defender, you know, a World Cup finalist goalkeeper, the England captain, Brazil's top scorer in the World Cup. Um, probably the best ever Asian football footballer. I mean, the, the captain of South Korea, uh, Kulisevsky, who wasn't there, but anyone who looks at like uh, football data knows has been one of the outstanding forwards in Europe uh, over the last year. Um, it's not a terrible team. You know, I mean, like, okay, the problem that they've had has been... Injuries. Yeah, I mean, Kolosevsky's uh, most damagingly, I guess, but also Son's kind of underperformance for, you know, the first couple of months of the season. You know, he had a really bad start to the season. I mean, he he did a couple of great things in the World Cup, um, but they obviously would have expected a lot more from Son. And uh, they need a better centre-back probably than, than Eric Dyer. Um, and their full-backs, I mean, we, well, we know what, Conte thinks about uh, the fullbacks or wing wing backs. At the same time, so he was saying, "Look, you need uh, 
you, you need to add 50, you know, 50, 60, 70 million important players. But, you know, there was a feature, the Athletic did a feature a couple of days ago on uh, they compared the signings by the top six Premier League clubs, <clears throat> the so-called top six, because it's is I, I'm not sure if it's the current yeah. top six, but uh, no, it is actually it is there. No, no, Newcastle are in there now at the moment. Um, so they looked at play, uh, players co- who cost more than twenty million, uh, twenty million pounds that they've signed since 2019 to say you know how many of these players are hits, how many are misses, and how many is the the jury's out. So those. Uh, ratings are somewhat uh, uh, subjective. Subjective, but what is objective is just to look at the number of players costing more than twenty million that they've signed in this period. Now, Arsenal have signed eleven uh, players costing that. You know, the, the worst of whom was actually the most expensive one, uh, Pepe, uh, who cost seventy-two million. Man United have signed ten. Chelsea have signed ten. Man City have signed eight. Liverpool have signed six. How many have Spurs signed? 12? 10, on, only Oof. 10. Only the same as Man United and Chelsea. So what I'm saying is, now you can you can look at that, and if you if you look at the list, you see there are, there are quite a few names who were signed by, you know, the Pochettino, even even the Pochettino, I'm not saying they were signed, signed by Pochettino, say Ndombele, signed by the club when Pochettino was manager, or, and Mourinho as well. Uh, and there's Richarlison and Romero, um, I think the two hits of this time are the ones who've come in since Conte. But the point about it is that there has been a lot of investment by Tottenham, um, by Tottenham standards. And this is also in the, a club that's just built a stadium costing a billion pounds. Right yeah. now, I know the stadium, the billion pound stadium obviously improves, is the whole point of doing it is to improve your cash flow every year. But like, they have spent a lot of money, and so this is the last thing that that um, that Daniel Levy wants to hear from his manager uh, is basically, "Well, what do you expect? We're shit. We don't spend money." And it's like, well, actually, when you look at the other clubs, we are we have been doing quite a lot of spending, and okay, maybe our signings haven't succeeded in the way that we that we were hoping, uh, but maybe we look at the managers in terms of getting the best out of the signings. I mean. I think that the the damaging contrast as ever for Tottenham is with Arsenal, right? It's 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 always bad for whichever one of Tottenham or Arsenal if one of them is doing well. You know what I mean? It's like um if it's for the other it's always bad because it, it annoys it means the fans are are more annoyed. And so Arteta if you compare content to Arteta, Arteta comes in suffers disappointment after disappointment, right, with Arsenal. The biggest of which was the one Spurs inflicted on them last season when they didn't make the Champions League at the at the end of the season. And is good at picking them up. Yeah. And, I, you know, what's, what was Arteta's uh, catchphrase from the documentary? Put it in the bin, guys. Put it, put, it, put, it, put it in the bin. It's over, guys. It's too late to do anything about it now, guys. Put it in the bin. Conte is like, put Brian Hill in the bin. Put Matt Doherty <laughs> in the bin. You know, he, so it's, it's, like a, it's a really crucial skill that Arteta has displayed. That, I mean, a skill for a manager that Arteta has displayed that Conte does not display. And, he, and in this, he's a, he's a bit like Mourinho. It's like, um, it, it's like this, it, it, the inability to respond to failure with, you know, reassurance and calming and, okay, look, this didn't work, but we're getting better and we're, and we're, we're going in the right, and, and we're all together and we go again. Yeah. And Conte instead is like, well, what do you expect me to do? You know, they don't give me any players. I've, you know, Darty, Darty. 
you know, this is like, uh, I think that's, that's, that's a problem. And do, that's why do, do, I, does he just think he's above the club? Does he think that Tottenham, despite being whatever, the sixth richest club in the world or something, is too small a club for the talents of Antonio Conte as a manager? Yeah, I, I mean, he, he gives that impression, right? Whether, whether or not that is really what he thinks, that's certainly the impression that he, that he gives. But, you know, from, from the point of view, I mean, if you, I, I, think it's, I think to do this is bad for his reputation as, as well. I mean, he does have a great record as, as a club manager, certainly in, in league football. I mean, having won the, the league with Juventus, with Inter and with Chelsea, um, it's impressive. It's as, it's as good as really anyone when you look around, anyone who's sort of in the field at the moment. But this type of thing is really annoying to chairman because it's like okay well if we win it will be all his uh, it will all be to his credit but if we lose he'll point a finger at me and and he won't stick around to try and to try and take things on in the way that Arteta has so impressively done at Arsenal um you know you need I think to have that if you want to be a really good manager I mean again here I am saying Conte is obviously a good manager in some ways but I think there are limitations there I think there are flaws there and Arteta uh, is showing him up in the sense of you have to also be able to deal with disappointment and try and, you know, try and take things on. Whereas Conte, I think, really, really struggles with that. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Time to be busy, this motherfucker. Like we always do about this time. Okay, I'm going to reveal a piece of information now. Well, I haven't, I haven't smoked a cigarette in four days. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, this guy, cheer up. How about you fucking wake up? Wake up. Wake up to what's happening in the in the world. It's time to wish a happy new year now to John Brune. How are you, John? I'm okay, chaps. Uh, good to be back with you. Happy new year to you and, well, the listeners. Happy new year. Yeah, most importantly. At the, you were at the Amex Stadium to witness the major story of the weekend. Evan Ferguson becoming the youngest <laughs> Republic of Ireland player to score in the Premier League. Are you impressed with this fine, strapping young man that Irish football has produced, John? I'll, I'll, make, a, I'll make a confession here, chaps. Uh now, uh, Ken will know this from his recent trip to Qatar. Towards the end of the game, you're not really watching. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. And, and so this strapping young Irishman comes on, uh, to whom uh, a couple of Irish friends, um, 
one of whom I'm speaking to now, remarks on this. Uh, I know there's an Irishman coming on, and then he scores. And at this point, I'm having to redraw because you're thinking, hang on, a Brighton coming back into this game. Uh, but yes, uh, a big moment for him, yeah. of, of course. Uh, first ever Premier League goal. Um, Brighton, I mean, they had Aaron Connolly before, didn't they? Uh, they're, they're a good route into Premier League football for for players from, let's say, and you're not going to like this, from outside the, the elite nations. But countries say. like uh, Ireland, Ecuador and Argentina. Absolutely. Well, Argentina, of course. And, and, and actually, you say that uh, they do have a, an Argentinian, <laughs> a World Cup winner. But uh, down at Brighton, no one appears to know where Alexis McAllister is. What is going on? Are oh, you serious? Because m- most of the rest of them have, have at least turned up at their clubs, even if they're not all playing. Even yet. Emiliano Martinez was was sitting there on the bench. So yeah, what is 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 everything okay with Alexis McAllister? This is pretty insane. Well, yeah, I mean, a, a, a colleague of mine said that he'd had a brief chat with him, and that, you know, Brighton were a, yeah, it'd been a little bit mischievous, but. Um, about when he was going to turn up, or we'll let you know when he turns up. But there is this idea that uh, he that he possibly might have played his last game for them, uh, oh, and also yeah. also at half time, uh, no, before the game, they they did a you know we're Brighton and we've got a World Cup winner for the first time, uh, and uh, showed a nice nice video clip of him, and then the announcer said, uh, and if anyone's got his phone number, do let us know. <laughs> oh wow. Well, listen, uh, a lot of storylines from Brighton, but it was Arsenal who marched on. John, they were... Uh, you, you did an amazing line, in not in your match piece, but in your 10 things to watch, your contribution to the 10 things from the, the weekend's Premier League. Yeah. I'm sorry for butchering the title of that, that weekly piece, which uh, I do read, I must say. Erling Haaland is a Premier League's goal machine. Its creative genius may well be, with apologies to Kevin De Bruyne, Martin Odegaard. Yeah, yeah, I... I, I... Uh, I'm beginning to come around to that. Now, listen, of course, let's not dismiss Kevin De Bruyne, who's consistently been uh, the Premier League's best player over the last three, four seasons, say, or best uh, creative player. Um, But um, Odegaard, just in... I I suppose since the post-World Cup break, and and before that as well, he's, he's gone up a level that, I must confess, I didn't really think he was capable of. Now, why didn't I think he was capable of that? Because he's one of those wonder kids that you see that appears. I mean, he was 15, wasn't he, when he, he made that breakthrough and there was this this whole hubbub. He went to Real Madrid. It didn't happen for him. He was loaned around. He went to Real Sociedad. But within that, and I think Arsenal pulled off a really good deal here, there is such a talented player. Now, is he a more talented player than Erling Haaland? Well, no, the, the talents are rather different. But what I would say uh, is that Erling Haaland um, is the story of the season so far because of all the goals he's scored. But I'd say Martin Odegaard is a better fit for Mikel Arteta's team than Haaland is for Pep Guardiola's team. Um, and the way... He, and, and I had doubts when, uh, ahead of this season... Uh, it was announced that Odegaard would be the captain. And I just thought, well, hang on, you know, I've seen nothing from this guy to suggest he's a leader. But that speaks to me uh, as an unreconstructed R-League football man because I forgot that you can have players who inspire by just being really excellent. And having said that, 
uh, watching from the sidelines on Saturday, you did see that uh, when Arteta wanted to relay instructions, which he does an awful lot of, uh, it was to Odegaard that he spoke. But Odegaard isn't, you know, isn't a vocal guy. He's not a chess beater. He's not a Tony Adams, uh, but he leads by example. And um, within that team, uh, his ball carrying um, and his his ability to control and calm down the team, uh, of, of which are a few points where the game possibly could have got away from them. And then, of course, the ball to Martinelli for the fourth goal, which was the crucial goal, really. That was beautiful. Yeah, I mean, the goal was, was sensational. That uh, And then not just the, the pass from uh, Odegaard and the, the, the sort of speed of the counter-attack, but what Martinelli did there was also really, really... I mean, it was like, well, this is the kind of thing Mo Salah used to do. You know what I mean? This is like, he is that guy now in the league he is the most dangerous player in in the league probably in that situation you know that Arsenal had sort of attacking um uh, attacking an opponent who's who's kind of caught up the up the pitch a little bit and when you look at you know Odegaard Martinelli Saka and Gabriel Jesus obviously injured at the moment and you know maybe when that happened we, we, we kind of thought well that, that could be a problem for Arsenal and Katie's come in and scored in both games um but the three the three guys the three sort of regular guys in that attack nobody else in the league, actually, has a better uh, has a better set of attackers than that. No, no, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, all of those teams at the top would have, you know, there's Mo Salah, there's Erling Haaland, um, but and it, it's settled as well, isn't it? Because you compare that to Manchester City, you've got this current culture war up in Manchester about whether why Phil Foden isn't playing ahead of Jack Grealish. Um, it's settled and they're all playing with confidence. Um, and a player you didn't mention, who I think possibly is the best English player around these days, is is Saka, Bukayo Saka, who's such a brilliant player and plays with such maturity. He's 21 years old. Martinelli's 21 years old as well. He's a, a little rawer, but is still such a talented player. And Arsenal are reaping the benefits of you know, of of being able to play these young players. Um, and, and actually, word on Eddie and Ketia. Um, now, I was speaking to someone over the weekend and they were telling me uh, that uh, they felt that Eddie and Ketia is one of those players who whose career was affected by the COVID outbreak in that he was just about making his breakthrough at Arsenal when obviously everything was locked down. And for certain young players... Uh, you know, you need that that chink of light to go through to to make your way into the team, and then it was closed off by you know, lockdowns and the league restarting. And obviously, a club like Arsenal, if they get a chance to sign a player like Gabriel Jesus, well, they're going to take it, aren't they? But um, he scored two goals in two games since he's come back. Um, another personal story I should say is that a good friend of mine was uh, his teacher down in South London, uh, and. No, nothing to say other than he was a really, really nice young man mm. who who wanted to be a footballer. And the thing is, he's actually 23, which is a reasonably late developing point, yeah. isn't it? But he's waited for his turn. And Mikel Arteta tells him to work across the front in the style of Gabriel Jesus. Now, he's not of the class of Gabriel Jesus, of course not. But he's doing the job and he's scoring goals. And actually, if you recall, Jesus was not scoring many goals before he, he got injured at the World Cup. Yeah, when when you the the thing about this situation as well that that 
means that I've, I've started to believe for the first time Arsenal are actually going to do this. I mean, there's seven points clear. At the, now, the, obviously, there haven't been as many games played as there usually is at this point in the season. So it doesn't mean quite as much to be seven points clear, you know, at the, at the beginning of the year. But that is a big lead. And it's that City are not as relentless in the chase as you kind of had just factored them in that, that, that they would be. You know what I mean? Especially when in the, you know, in, in the autumn, Haaland is scoring like two and three goals a game. You're like, well, this is just they're absolutely obliterating everybody. I mean, but now if you see a situation where where Haaland is maybe only scoring one goal a game and then isn't really doing much else and City are malfunctioning a little bit, that's a situation where I'm really looking forward to see, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Pep Guardiola handles that. He's already got this strange and you you referred to the Foden Grealish uh thing that's that's going on at the moment and this is kind of an interesting one in terms of like I mean most people I guess had got used to thinking of Foden as as um you know one of the first yeah. 11 city players. You know, he's he's been much more effective than Grealish, you know, in in the ways that everybody notices scoring and setting up goals. But Guardiola has is now talking about things like angles of passes and body language. I mean, no one's going to be Grealish on body language. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's just not going to... No, no, Foden hasn't got a chance if it's, if he's picking the team on body language. But it's, you know, Guardiola obviously sees something here. But, like, the thing is, Guardiola was saying stuff like, well, our, our performances in the last couple of games have been among the best in my six years at the club. And you're thinking, well, are they? Have they been? I mean, you, you know, you lost to Brentford just before the the World Cup break. You know, drew to Everton. I mean, that's that's a terrible result. And I mean, the performance wasn't exactly. I wouldn't have thought it was one of the best City performances I've seen in years. So there's a bit of confusion there, is what I'm saying. That the picture adds up to a confused, uh, confused situation at City, and one in which Arsenal just need to keep doing what they're doing. Well, yeah, and I think that the difference between Arteta and Guardiola, if you look. At, at the the outlook is just Arteta's game plan is simple. We all know what it is. Uh, it's essentially Party is their defensive midfielder, their anchor man. He operates in tandem, I suppose, with Odegaard and Xhaka. And then they've got those three flying attackers. Uh, and then you, you hope that the, the central defence and the the wing backs, as they are, pretty much do the job. We know what that plan is. Can you tell me what Manchester City's plan is this season? well, I've got this big lad up front, but the rest of it seems to be a series of moving parts. They've got a couple of players that maybe are pushing on uh, in age and had disappointing World Cups. You've got the Gundogan, you've got De Bruyne himself. Um, and it, it's that thing that you're talking about. Uh, I, I read those quotes that you're, you're talking about there, Ken. They seem very complicated. And uh, a, yeah. a, another a personal story, uh, I was chatting to... Uh, someone in Macclesfield, a friend of mine up in Macclesfield, whose son actually uh, played for City for the first time under Guardiola during one of the friendlies over the um, over the, the break during the World Cup. He showed me a nice little picture of Pep with his arm round him, you know, before he goes on, giving me his guidance. And I said, well, what did he say to him? And he said, well, he gave him about five or six incredibly complicated tactical instructions and then just said, and then go out there and enjoy yourself. Because <laughs> Wow. Because I think even Pep realizes that some of this stuff is, you know, and this is a, you know, a 20-year-old lad, but it, it it's it is it's almost like Pep is disappearing uh, into some free jazz, you know, um stuff that 
there's some stratagem that's beyond his players. And the, 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 the Grealish thing, I don't understand because, you know, again, call me unreconstructed football man, but probably the most talented English footballer, give or take Saka, say, is Phil Foden, isn't it? Why wouldn't you have him in his team, in your team? This is amazing. So far, we've gotten insights into Eddie and Ketty as teacher. We're in. We're literally inside Pep Guardiola's dressing room right now. If only you'd paid attention to bloody Evan Ferguson, John, this would be uh, contenders <laughs> for the football start of the year. A complete performance. Yeah. What about what about Arteta afterwards, John? Were you paying attention to him when he uh, he came in? I, I saw. I know that you were at the Amex, so so you're basically sitting there like a parrot on his shoulder with the positioning of the press box. Yes. Uh, and you got to see his his mud spattered trousers. Oh, close! This is the real, the real muck and bullets of the Premier. Well, the muck of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you're not quite as close as the old White Hart Lane, which you will remember, Ken, where you sat almost. I remember being sat like about three uh, seats behind Alex Ferguson and just being, you know, in awe. Uh, but if you ask to compare Alex Ferguson to Mikel Arteta in terms of um, uh, touchline etiquette, well, it's fair to say Arteta moves around a fair bit more than the great man. Uh, in fact. If I was to say that if there was to be something that might stop Arsenal running away with the league, it might be that the manager doesn't hide how much anguish he's going through on the sideline because he's pacing, he's shouting, he's screaming, he's moaning at his bench, he's moaning at the fourth official. Um, and it does actually remind me of of Pep himself, uh, now, I know on the show you've discussed this almost special move that Pep has. You know that one where the other team breaks away and he drops to oh, his knees? He drops to the ground, he clutches his head before and doesn't even bother watching the rest of the move. Yeah, now I think uh, Arteta's trousers were probably a bit too expensive to uh, attempt that one on Saturday and it was very muddy down there. Um, but yeah, you could see that and it's... There's this sort of exasperation, and it's obviously the modern coach compared to the almost stoic-like uh, evil emperor figure that Ferguson would have. You know, he just stand there pointing at his watch. Uh, but in Arteta, there's this sort of Martinet figure. Um, it's frantic, it's frenzied, um, and you do wonder should things go against them, how, how that transposes to players, um, and you know maybe. Maybe Martin Odegaard is the calm head that they need, you know, because he is such a such a cool customer. Um, but yeah, I, but you know, Arte, the thing is, in these press conferences, you ask Arteta, you know, can you win the league? You get the stock answer of we just want to win the next game, we just want to win the next game, we just want to win the next game, uh, we just want to be better as a team and all this type of thing. But there is going to come that point where the pressure is going to come on, and um, like you, I don't see why. Arsenal can't do this. Yeah, well, okay, just before we get too head up about all this now, I should say Kevin De Bruyne was amazing against Liverpool, amazing again against Leeds, didn't play well, in fairness, against Everton at the weekend. None of them really did. And I think Haaland got distracted by his ongoing battle with Ben Godfrey from that that moment early on where he was almost injured by him and decided to just go around like a madman and probably should have been sent off at various points of the game. So it was, it just, it just felt like a really weird game. I don't know how repeatable that's going to be for other teams playing against Man City. Haaland has got 21 goals now in the Premier League already. So are we, are we just being a little bit too, you know, a little bit too quick to write City off here, John? Well, is he not scoring the goals that the rest of the team would score? 
uh, you know, the, the, this was Manchester City. There was a sort of uh, equality amongst the team. You know, be, be, after Sergio Aguero, um, I, I just I just look at City and and wonder uh, beyond the Haaland business, could they have done a bit more? Maybe in midfield. I mean, Rodri's still a still a good player, of course, and I, I'm not sure about the defence because. Pep seems to have his favourites in defence, doesn't he? That players come in and come out. Nathan Ake is a is a current dependable. Um, they have scored ten more goals, or no, sorry, they've scored eleven more goals, forty four goals um, in the first sixteen compared to thirty three in the first sixteen last season. So sixteen goals up from nine, and forty four goals up from thirty three. So it's actually better for goal difference, but it's not really better. No. Because to let in nearly double the number of um, goals against um, creates more problems than is solved by scoring a third more uh, goals. I guess, I mean, I think, I mean, maybe there are mathematicians listening who can tell me whether that's true or not. But I think he'd rather keep the goals against down than, you know, 33 goals in, in 16 games is, is already, should be plenty, really. Now it's 44, but the goals coming in the other end are, are not looking so good. It's a goal a game. Yeah, I always think it's a, it's a bad sign for a, a a good team to be involved in a lot of high scoring matches. Now I say that having just watched Ars- uh, Arsenal win four two at Brighton, but <laughs> um, but you, you know what I mean. I, I often you often see this pattern where a team goes over the top of being dominant of good, uh, and then they start having to pull themselves out and win matches four three. We've seen that quite a little a little bit with with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Yeah. I remember various times in the in the you know that that Ferguson era that United would go through a slump and suddenly they were winning matches four three and five three and stuff like that. And it was all very exciting. But you're thinking, hang on, at the back all is not well. And I think that's the pattern that City are going through. And I think a part of that is and listen it, it People will always laugh at you uh, for blaming the Haaland factor. Just like, actually, it's not dissimilar to people blaming last season, well, Ronaldo scoring the goals, I don't know what you're complaining about. Yeah. Well, actually, it does have an effect on the rest of the team. And I do wonder uh, at what point at what point this season, Ken and Owen, is he going to pull the Haaland trigger and pull him out of a big game and chuck in Julian Alvarez and say... This is what I've always wanted. This is the football. Well, I, well I'm so, I'm, I'm kind of like I, I I sort of had that suspicion as well that the you know the way um, that that maybe he Pep is like I like this guy Alvarez right because the the way that he would talk about him say when when people were say in September October it's like oh Holland you know how do you feel about being able to stand near him um, at these matches Pep you must be this must be the highlight of your career to be able to stand so close to Erling Haaland while he's doing these things and Pep would say yeah you know Julian Alvarez Julian Alvarez is a great player and <laughs> so, so you kind of thought like okay but then then the game on Saturday he didn't bring him on until like the, the last couple of minutes didn't bring and anyone like, on he didn't he didn't uh, bring anyone on until 87 minutes, minutes or, so, or something yeah. And, and and Alvarez had had actually been out warming up when when Haaland got injured in the first couple of minutes, you know, the, in the the Godfrey incident. Um, so I kind of thought, well, well, we'll be seeing you uh, yeah. at, at some point soon. But it just it, it seemed amazing to me, especially when they need a goal for quite a long period of the second half. You've got this guy there. I mean, and and he doesn't use him. So I didn't really. It doesn't uh, mesh with my earlier theory that. Uh, Pep secretly um, loves Alvarez. I'm like, well, maybe he doesn't really like him either. 
Well, maybe Alvarez has been to Alexis McAllister's party and needs a bit longer to recover. Uh, <laughs> we just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always been of that mind that of, of the two, those two star forwards that they signed in the summer, you'd look at Alvarez and you think, that's a Pep Guardiola player, isn't it? And then actually looking at the way he played at the World Cup, you know, because he did all that, that work for Messi. He can uh, do everything. Yeah, he's he's he, he he's such a good all rounder. Yeah. I also feel, you know, as a, as a in our league, it would be nice to see a player of that talent flourish because um, it does feel like he's rather uh, in the shadow of Haaland at the moment, and uh, maybe this, this Haaland's ear is over already. Maybe that's it. <laughs> John, big calls already on your first appearance this year. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me, lads. Most sports nutrition experts would argue that the, the fueling begins, in fact, the most important element of it is the day before, particularly the night before. So if you could yeah. take us through your routine. To win the Premier League, it's a war on nutrition. Okay, well, the night before I had a, I had sort of a chicken salad. Yeah, perfect. Lovely, perfect. I put a bit of pesto on. I mean, oh, I put okay. half a jar of That's too much pesto, but it's not the end of the world. <laughs> And I actually bulked up that chicken salad with a little bit of Israeli couscous. We're still okay. We're still in the realms of pretty good nutrition, I would say, the day before a race. I had uh, two beers. It's the best thing in the world for you because it's full of protein. Um, okay, not ideal, but not the end of the world. I had a small Pringles. You know the Ritter, Ritter Sport Bars? I hadn't seen cornflake one before. Nobody had any soup to start with, nobody had any puddings to finish with, they had fish and chips. Okay, I had a whiskey and coke. No, no, come on, not great, not great. Not after the beers. Uh, well, it was a whiskey and coke zero. You know, you probably know what direction I was thinking, we'll have another whiskey. You could have one drink, no more, and then you're back to the hotel and you're off to bed. Then I was thinking, what will I have? Nah, you know what, you know, I'll have a cup of tea. Okay, uh, perfect. I had tea, then I had a few digestive biscuits. Well, there was a suggestion that there was sort of an all-you-can-eat sort of a thing going on. I wasn't counting them. I wasn't counting them. They were like buns to an elephant. I was just hoovering them up. And then just before I went to bed, I had a slice of toast with Nutella. No! It was whole grain. It was whole grain bread. Just a quick update there. Since we spoke to John Bruin, the, it seems as though Brighton have located Alexis McAllister, welcoming back our World Cup winner. They tweet in a video that I'm just looking at at the moment. He seems to be arriving back to the training base, and they're putting out all the stops here. He's got a replica World Cup trophy. There's, there's all sorts going on here. He's lifting it, they're hugging everybody. So he has, I don't know how long he's going to remain at the club, but he's, he seems to be there as we record. Now, the only black mark against John's contribution was... He was too busy writing his match report to properly take in the moment that Evan Ferguson became Brighton's youngest ever goal scorer in the Premier League. So here's what the man himself had to say about his goal, speaking on Sky Sports. Just remember coming in deep, not getting the ball, so just spin off in behind and Donkey obviously found me and that, that was it, yeah. That was a bit of control there before you actually tucked it away too. Yeah, I think it's just all in the moment, you know what I mean? That's how it happens, but now I'm buzzing, buzzing to get the goal. The Donkey in question is obviously Brighton captain Lewis Dunk who said about Ferguson, he showed where he's at with the way he took the goal. He's down to earth, a young kid with a great work ethic who gives us all in training and who's going to keep improving. I'm buzzing for him and hopefully there's a lot more to come from him. Roberto De Zerbi, the manager, said he's a good player. 
he has very big potential. But then disappointingly, De Zerbi went on to say, like Sarmiento, like Enzide, like Lamptey, like Billy Gilmore. I just basically named all the young players at the club. Named all the other Brighton Which players. Which is really annoying. You just, you just want him to spend longer to linger on our guy, our boy Nathan Collins. But, you know, he took it well. He, he no, not Nathan Collins. Uh, I mean, Nathan, Nathan Collins, our guy, Nathan Collins, oh, also put in me. a decent performance over, over the weekend yeah, yeah, against yeah, yeah. Manchester I'm, I'm confusing my young Irish football, ty- Premier League Tyros, uh, our yeah. man Evan Ferguson. It was a really good finish because, he, he, like he said, he kind of spun around the back was through on goal, rolled the ball under his studs. I don't even know if he gained that much advantage by doing it, but it's just he needed to take some sort of a touch as he was bearing down on goal, and he did well to keep control of the ball in that situation. And then yeah, I thought it was a brilliant finish. Yeah. Like, uh, and I mean, he's up against Saliba, who who kind of makes a mess of it. And Saliba obviously has been one of the top, um, one of the most impressive uh, defenders, uh, it, you know, in the Premier League this season. Um, Saliba makes a mistake but Evan Ferguson is right in and that little touch just before he kind of pokes it through the legs of Ramsdale I thought was was brilliant um, just to, because of the the way that he doesn't it shows that he doesn't rush the chance you know he's like here's a chance uh, my god it's a chance oh my god you know I'm better score than Premier League you know and uh, you, you can you can imagine uh, players you, we can all think of the names we can all think of one name in particular who might just Lash that lash at that ball as hard as they could, and instead he just manipulated it slightly to put it in a better position, which is brilliant. Um, you know, for that for that being the first time he'd really been in that situation, and uh, with all of the importance of that moment for him to have that kind of calmness was a really good sign. The one name in particular is that uh, Liverpool striker, by any chance? Well, and I I don't know why you say that. I don't know why I don't know why you say that. But yes. <laughs> Brentford against well, we'll see what that man can do tonight Brentford against Liverpool this evening on Sky Sports tomorrow night Arsenal versus Newcastle that's also on Sky but I can reveal to the Manchester United fans listening that United against Bournemouth is on Premier Sports coverage starts at half past seven so there's one for the United mm. supporters yeah you're a little, little exclusive for you uh, thanks so United much United against Michael Michael Bournemouth Jordan's Bournemouth yeah yeah exactly and Wallace from the wire owns Bournemouth it's pretty Pretty interesting development. Well, they'll need to stump up some cash. Apparently, they say they're going to be active in the January transfer window, which they need to be because they're slipping back down towards that that relegation zone at the moment. Anyway, that's it for now. Happy New Year, Ken. Thanks a million. Happy New Year to you, Owen. Great to talk to you again, as always. Thanks for listening to the Second Captain's Podcast, part of the ACAST Creator Network. To hear all episodes ad-free and to get our coverage of the midweek Premier League matches, become a World Service member today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. 
Visit ebay.com for terms.